if you ask our ancestor, like my grandparents, they always told you that ditch the fiat by gold <laughs> because gold is the only um, hard money and the the safest bet. Like if you want to, if you want to accept payment, uh, put it in the one that is the, is the hardest because. The, the, the Dutch golden, yes, it's hard money, but it's it's a foreign it's a foreign uh, money, and then it's being used for colonial uh, power. And then the Indonesian money wasn't that great either, so you lose your purchasing power. Welcome to Life with Bitcoin, where we delve into the human side of Bitcoin by chatting with one Bitcoiner at a time to discover their life stories, personal growth, and challenges through the lens of Bitcoin. I'm your host, Vivian Chang. Thanks for tuning in. Today, the guest will be joining us is Dia Reskita. Uh, Dia Reskita is an Indonesian Bitcoin educator and podcast host. Works on Class Bitcoin, an educational platform that caters to an Indonesian-based audience with various resources including articles, videos, and in-person meetups. She discusses topics around money, business, finance, and Bitcoin. Furthermore, Dia is the podcaster for My Bitcoin Story, a community master for Fetty, the co-founder of Indonesian Bitcoin Community, and the organizer of the Indonesian Bitcoin Conference. Welcome, Dia. You have lots of titles. <laughs> I know. Thank you for having me, Vivian. I just realized that, like, oh my God. <laughs> this is what happens when you um, work in this industry for, like, two plus years, I guess. Everyone has a million titles, doing a million things for the communities. And that's a good thing. So thanks for thanks for joining us. And um, I want to start with your personal journey with Bitcoin. What were you doing before you discovered Bitcoin? How was it like for you? I actually discovered Bitcoin. Um, the first time I encountered Bitcoin was in 2013. That's early. That, that was... And it was in the middle of nowhere. It was at, I was doing a backpacking trip in Southeast Asia and I was in Laos from all of the, from all of the country. I was in Laos and then in Laos, there's a bar that accepted Bitcoin. And I thought that was very interesting, but that's, that's as far as I know <laughs> back then. But then, um, so fast forward in 2016, uh, I started uh, a business, like a, a retreat organizing business, and I need to find a way to accept money from abroad because we have, you know, clients from all over the world that wants to come to Bali and then like, uh, you know, maybe doing a company retreat or yoga retreat. And I sometimes I need to accept a payment from abroad and my only option at that time was either bank transfer or PayPal. And I found it very uh, hard to, I mean, it's, 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 it's a take a long time to uh, deposit to my account. And then there's so much fees. Right. And then I heard again about this Bitcoin, um, actually like you can transfer money using Bitcoin and it's, it's quite cheap. So that's when I start to learn about Bitcoin I went to a co-working space and then uh, there is a session about uh, what is Bitcoin and then they have a Bitcoin ATM downstairs and that's the first time I bought my Bitcoin like through Bitcoin ATM. That was quite fun. But I mean, I, I used the, the, my first encounter 
with Bitcoin or like how I use it is to accept payment from from abroad. Um, of course, it was a bit hard to convince client to pay me in Bitcoin, but there are some uh, tech enthusiast client who wants to try it out. And then it was a really cool experience because uh, I did like an A-B testing uh, with two of my client, one who pay me in PayPal and one who pay me in Bitcoin. The one who pay me in PayPal, it takes 10 days for uh, for the money to transfer to my account. The one who pay me in Bitcoin, we just do a Skype call and then, you know, we decided on the rate. Um, he was in Korea, I was in Indonesia. We decided what Bitcoin rate that we are going to use. And then, uh, you know, he sent the money, I receive it. I went to an OTC, cash it out. Everything take less than 30 minutes, I guess, from from the whole process. So I think that was... Yeah, to receive payment in Bitcoin or the client's idea? It was actually my idea. I just want to test it out because, um, yeah, like, you know, for, for them, it doesn't really matter to pay me in with bank transfer or PayPal. But for me, it, it it's kind of hurtful for, for my business because every time they pay me in PayPal, I lose at least 5 uh, to 6% from the conversion, from also the... Um, yeah, from from the fees. And that's quite a lot of margin, you know, to lose. Uh, so that's oh, why I yeah, want to totally. convince my uh, client to pay me in Bitcoin. Because uh, especially if you, if you time it correctly, like if you time it during the bull run, uh, you will get more profit, right? Like, I mean, in terms of you someone pay you in Bitcoin and then uh, when the price goes up, you just take the principle, you kind of like stacking sat in that, in that way through payment from, from clients. How much did you know about Bitcoin back then to actually come to the conclusion that I, I'm going to ask for Bitcoin from my clients just to test it out? I started using that payment in 2016, so like less than yeah eight, seven years ago. I found very, very fortunate that uh, the way I understand about Bitcoin, I went to a class first, like there is a class conducted in this co-working space. And uh, the guy who is now like, you know, become one of my friends says, teach me about what is Bitcoin, how it's used for transaction, how it, how it works. Uh, he even teach us about uh, how to custody your Bitcoin in your private wallet, like how you write your seed phrase. So that's, uh, like, I feel I've, I'm kind of fortunate that I learned the basic first, and then I uh, decided to, to test it out with, uh, with my client. And it, I mean, it's just fun. Like, I guess both um, uh, a couple of clients that, that did that uh, with me, like they are also curious so we both want to learn together like how we can do transferring this this payment i can totally relate on the fees for paypal it's such a pain i work with freelancers from all over the world and sometimes they don't take they don't necessarily take bitcoin or even stable coins and then paypal is basically the only thing they can get access to and even for paypal to take off like five to fifteen dollars that's like a significant amount of money for them yeah this may not sound a lot for in in the u.s it's like a cup of coffee but it's in many parts of the world it's very very different 
So you are from Indonesia. For most people, I suppose, and me myself included, my impression for Indonesia is is very much around Bali, around、uh, lots of digital nomads go there. And it's very very tropical, hence the the outfit today. So I wanted to gauge your experience in in Indonesia and your knowledge. And I know that historically Indonesia has operated as a vast and diverse nation. And you shared with Robert Breedlove what is money show, and you said there's over seventeen thousand islands, more than seven hundred languages spoken. It's a large population of of two hundred and seventy million people in Indonesia. How does the process? Work that led to the unification, especially regarding how governance was carried out across these distinctive regions, and how did、um, Indonesia manage to create a sense of unity among so many diverse communities prior to become a united nation? Let's say the border as it is, like how it become Indonesia. It's、um, it's a legacy from colonialism. Right, like we we've been we were colonized by the Dutch for almost three centuries, and then、um, around those areas there is、uh, Spain and Philippines. There's also Portuguese settlement as well, like in、uh, near the East Timor.、Um, there's also British. So <clears throat> the border, like how we call Indonesia, is somehow、uh, being. Set by those colonial、uh, treaty, like back in the day.、Uh, but when it comes to like how it formed into nation, obviously、uh, it's it's very hard to to combine all the countries together with so many different language.、Um, the founding father of Indonesia actually、uh, back in nineteen twenties before our independence, they decided that. If we want to unify all of these、uh, tribes, all of these islands, different language, different type of、uh, ethnicity, we need to create something new. So they decided that、uh, instead of choosing like one language, they like you know maybe one language from from the one of the island, they decided to invent a new language. Countries called Bahasa Indonesia, and I thought that was very interesting because, like,、um, I think that makes it everyone needs to learn from zero, not not just like favor from like just one one island, and then they will create tension, you know. So everyone needs to learn the the language.、Uh, yeah, in 1945,、um, actually, Indonesia got its independence accidentally because the The Dutch was colonizing Indonesia, and then、uh, after that, the, the、uh, Japan took over, right? And during the World War Two, Japan suddenly got bombed by、uh, the nuclear bomb in the Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So the, the Japanese troops just flee the country, and then there is a vacuum of power. Actually, the young people of Indonesia kidnap the founding father, and then told him that. You have to announce that we are, you know, there's no one right now in the country. Just claim our independence. And he wasn't. He actually doesn't want to do that because 
actually Indonesia was in the process of getting independence uh, like uh, like the, J- the Japanese is going to give Indonesia the independence and he was part of it and then uh, the young people said no like we have to claim our own independence so when there's no Japanese troop in Indonesia so that Indonesia just came and then say like we independent country <laughs> so that was a quite interesting story i found because uh it, it done it, it was done without a bloodbath right like they, they claimed yeah. independence if we want to relate that to money stories uh as, as i mentioned there was dutch there was japan there was indonesia after the independence um the the troops like the the allies uh, which consists of the the dutch british and um, u.s troops as well want to take over indonesia and then like indonesia fight back during this time around there's also like a uh how do I say, like a struggle of power between money. Um, so Indonesia actually during 1945 until 1950s, there are three different currency that is circulating in Indonesia. There's a Japanese in a Japanese gulden, uh, which is like a money that was being issued by the Japanese troop. There is um, uh, the Dutch gulden, which is being used from for over centuries because uh, the Dutch was colonized Indonesia. And then Indonesia decided to print their own money as well. So uh, at that time, it was very interesting that uh, people are, uh, yeah, like people need to navigate uh, themselves with these three different currency. Uh, obviously, the Dutch gulden is more, it's stronger than Indonesian rupiah. So a lot of people wants to own that. If you only accept Dutch gulden, uh, you will be marked as a trader by the nationalists. Uh, but if you're using Indonesian rupiah, you lose your purchasing power because it wasn't backed by, uh, by uh, like a gold or a hard asset. I mean, it was a very weak currency. So... The, the power dynamic happened and it was really interesting. And that's why if you ask our ancestor, like my grandparents, they always told you that ditch the fiat by gold <laughs> because gold is the only um, hard money and the, the safest bet. Like if you want to, if you want to accept payment, uh, put it in the one that is the, the hardest because the, the the Dutch gulden, yes, it's hard money, but it's it's a foreign it's a foreign uh, money, and then it's being used for the colonial uh, power. And then the Indonesian money wasn't that great either, so you lose your purchasing power. So, yeah, I mean, that, I found it very interesting the the reason why uh, our ancestor or like our grandparents always uh, told us to to save in gold. So tricky. Imagine as a individual trying to navigate between these currencies. Like, how does it even work? Do they have a certain exchange rate to to each other? Just like how you deal with foreign currencies, or they have a specific way of transacting through each other. Back in the day, um, the Indonesian money is called ori so uh the indonesian central there was actually two central bank at that time there is still a dutch controlled uh central bank and then there's also uh, a central bank that is uh 
established by Indonesia, like it's called the Bank Negara Indonesia. So the the central bank from Indonesia decided to to uh, print what they called ORI, and it's actually not. Uh, backed by gold, uh, but they create like a fixed exchange rate, and the exchange rate was uh, two rupiah is equal to one gram of gold. Yeah, the golden was actually backed by silver, but like the Indonesian rupiah is not backed by anything. They they just create this this fixed exchange rate. But after the the um, after yeah, I think after less than a year after they. Uh, Mm, issued this ORI, the, the, the Indonesian money, uh, to like one, um, let's say one gram of gold was set to two rupiah, and then now one gram of gold was uh, equal, equivalent to 500. So that was like less than a year. That's how much the, the, the money depreciated. <laughs> and it's continued like that. Indonesia faced a hardship uh, in the 60s because I think it was like a mismanagement as well. Um, and, and we also have a war debt to the Dutch that we have to pay. And then instead of like producing, um, the government decided to print a lot of money. So then in 1960s, there are actually more than 1,000% uh, inflation. So there was like hyperinflation. It was devastated for a lot of people. And then there's also second inflation in 1998 after uh, the Asia crisis. So uh, right now, like I mentioned that back in the day, the, uh, the money was using a fixed exchange rate between rupiah and then one gram of gold. So it was like one gram of gold equal to two rupiah. Right now in Indonesia, one gram of gold is equal to 900,000 rupiah. That's how much the... <laughs> yeah, because one gram equal to, that's, that, that, if this stick to the exchange rate, then it's pretty strong. It's pretty strong because a gram of gold, it's quite expensive. <laughs> Totally. Yeah, I mean, like, that's to just show, you know, like, um, you cannot do use a fixed exchange rate without any underlying. And then uh, if the government decided to, to continue printing money, that will show in the price. They will, they will really show, like, the, with the difference of the hard money. And, um, right. I mean, at, at that time, people using gold as a hard money. At our current age, we can see how much the money is depreciated if we also compare it to Bitcoin, right? Like that's the hardest money ever. And yeah, like uh, how much 13 years or no, 15 years has has uh, showed us uh, the, the like how much uh, our fiat money is actually depreciated. Fascinating. And I heard you share this last year saying that there's still 60% of people in Indonesia that are unbanked. I guess after years past, this percentage hasn't changed to a drastic degree. So how people interact with money in Indonesia um, on a daily basis? Like, do, do they use physical cash, mobile payment? How do they interact with money? Of course, cash is still the, the most preferable uh, mode of payment, right? Um, the reason is simple. We have 17,000 islands. There's like 200 million people who live in these uh, islands. And if you want to, traditionally, if you want to open a bank account, you have to go to the bank 
branch, right? And to create a bank branch, meaning you need to create an infrastructure. You need to also you can, you need to also um, distribute the cash. Uh, I know that um, because my sister, she's a doctor, and then she, as a doctor in Indonesia, you need to serve um, and. I think like doing some kind of internship in in different islands in Indonesia, usually like a remote island. And the government needs to send someone to every island with a boat to deliver the money, to deliver the cash. That's how uh, how it works in, in Indonesia. Right now, it's getting much better with the growth of uh, like fintech. So we have... Um, I mean, yeah, we have uh, different um, apps that allow us to do like payments. Uh, we have uh, our equivalent to Uber, we call it Go Go Gojek, uh, and they have their own like like uh, e wallet. So a lot of people are actually using that at the moment uh, because it's very easy to set up. You don't need to go to a Gojek branch; like you just download in your app. Um, but it still has limitation, right? Like you cannot, uh, of, I mean, with, with like, uh, with that kind of payment, you still need to have internet access. Not all of this island has like, you know, uh, good internet coverage. Um, so it's still, I, I guess say like cash is still the, the biggest, um, mode of payment. Uh, and then secondary is this e-wallet. And the, uh, recently as well, the government decided to create an integrated QR system payment for all the e-wallet and also mobile banking. Um, so they want to push more and more people to be uh, cashless or, uh, or at least to have an alternative than cash. Uh, so this QRIS payment, uh, you can find it in the big... <laughs> Sorry, in major islands in Indonesia. Uh, so you can, uh, yeah, you just, it's almost the same like how it works with the Bitcoin Lightning transaction where you can just like um, uh, scan the QR code and then it, it, you know, you just pay with whatever wallet that you have with the mobile banking or your own e wallet. The whole e payment system is a slippery slope to uh, CBDCs, eh? Exactly. Is that, is that what <laughs> they're brewing? The precursor of CBDC for sure. <laughs> I mean, like that's the problem, right? Like, um, I mean, I won't, I won't lie that it is convenience to have this QR payment system. Um, I mean, it's it's not it's not the same like in the US where everyone has card, like everyone has credit card. Uh, you know, card is the way you you pay. It's very hard for Indonesia to get a credit card. Um, because you need to have a certain level of, uh, of income and then, um, yeah, most people, you know, um, most people earn less than $200 a month. <laughs> so, so, uh, it's very hard for them to, to get a credit card. Um, but talking about the QR system, obviously, yes, there's a convenience, but there's also a, um, what is it called? Like a things that, like a pros and cons, like the things that you will giving up for, yeah, like things that you will giving up for that convenience is actually your privacy, right? Like uh, every time um, I know this for a fact that if you're using this QR system, you uh, you are actually being tracked, like you know where you are, what type of products that you buy. I mean, you you are 
being tracked anyway when you are using credit card. But now you get more data, like the the uh, with through the mobile app, you can um, the the government or even the company can gather more data about you. And then when it when it's transitioned to like using a CBDC, for example, uh, in the uh, at the uh, Indonesia. Uh, CBDC white paper they'd say that they're going to collect granular data like like a very small like data that you will that they will take and then um, make you know it's going to be in your record right so uh, that's very concerning because uh, the good thing about cash is that you do a good transaction uh, you give me you give me uh, goods or service I um, pay that with cash and then that's it you don't need to know who who am I who, who are the people that I'm hanging out with uh, what are the products that I just bought recently like you don't know you don't need to know about that you just you know like with the cash everything will be settled immediately uh, and that's also like how Bitcoin works right like you just like Bitcoin is a digital cash. So um, I found like uh, the reason why there is this uh, war with the cash is because with cash, government cannot take too much data about us. But uh, with digital payment like CBDC, then they will know all of everything about us. <laughs> I probably grew up in the last decade of using cash in China. And even when I went back in 2019, they refused to take cash anymore. Like you can go to a merchant and they would just simply not take your cash because they don't have simply don't have changes. I tend to miss the era of cash because there's a real pain associated to handing over the, the physical money to the merchant. Like you're, you're more careful with your spending exactly, versus... Yeah when you're on mobile or when you're dealing with digital money and that's Bitcoin included you're, you're way less sensitive when it comes to how much you're spending and how much you're saving because um, you don't see stack of bills um, <laughs> lying around yeah so you, you definitely um, there, there are certain perks for um, the cash economy for sure and considering the historical significance of tra trade trade routes and, and currency exchanges in Indonesia how has these traditional influences impact the way Indonesian perceive digital currencies like Bitcoin today or even e-cash? Truth to be honest, everyone knows that in Indonesia, our currency is weak because uh, with all this major inflation uh, that happened in the past, right? <clears throat> so most Indonesian will prefer to save in dollar or safe in gold, or um, because they know that the currency is weak, they need to um, hedge it against inflation. So that's why property is very popular, gold is very popular, um, collecting dollars is very popular. And then now I see that in in the young community, um, you know, Bitcoin is one of the ways for them to uh, hedge against inflation. Obviously, the uh, when it comes to the whole nation, it's very small number. Like, I mean, I get, I would say, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I read uh, maybe that's around like five percent of the population who own, uh, you know, Bitcoin or other type of crypto in general. But uh, 
but it's it's good a growing trend and i think it's here to stay um so if you ask like how indonesia perceive um you know <laughs> like different type of currency and like how they going to change the currency i guess indonesian people like any other southeast asian country are very pragmatic and they are very opportunistic <laughs> so they will still use they will still use the money that uh it's being mandated and then being accepted uh around which is like the, the our own fiat or 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 fiat but uh if there is an opportunity Obviously, they they want to uh, hold a much uh, harder money. There's so much interesting things to talk about about Indonesia because it's such a unique place geographically. It's very interesting, and the the combination of different islands make it very diverse as well. And the rich history with the the fusion of different cultures, either voluntarily or involuntarily. Um, there's a lot of fusion in of, in culture, and then you also have um, religion influence. Yeah, Hinduism. Uh, actually, uh, in Indonesia, uh, we are the world largest Muslim population. There's a lot of Muslim in in Indonesia. Uh, the Hindu is only exists majority in one island which is bali <laughs> but, but uh, historically um yes historically there's a lot of hindu and buddhist kingdom in indonesia back in uh, three four centuries the biggest kingdom was called majapahit who conquer up until uh you know thailand and um you know all this like malaysia area um so that, that's like one of the big kingdom that was in in uh, in Indonesia uh, but uh, I think in the 16 no sorry in the maybe 14th century then the Indonesia then the Islam um, came to Indonesia through through the traders from uh, from Arab uh, from India uh, and that's how uh, Islam was spread um, so if you look into geographically Indonesia is a bit divided uh, so like there's a there's like a one island Bali in the middle if you go from west of Bali mostly are uh, Muslim and if you go east to Bali mostly are Christian oh interesting do you see an increase or decrease of the the newer generation clinging onto religious beliefs in general. There are more and more people who are who are more become religious um, in Indonesia. Uh, I guess it's also because of internet, right? Like back in the day, you get your uh, let's say religion uh, education from your family, and now uh, you know with internet, you can get uh, many type of. Um, yeah download from from abroad from uh like even from the content creator like a religious content creator as well um i would say uh it's it's become a bit tricky that makes it more become more conservative i guess in their own um religious mindset maybe muslim also you know hindu and also in christian 
in the past, in early 2000, after uh, the, the Asia financial crisis, it's getting better because back in the day, there's also a lot of war happening, like let's say religious war between Muslim and Christian, between Christian and uh, <laughs> between uh, other, you know, uh, it's, like a, it's like almost like a, it's a, it was an unstable time at that, that time. So right now, uh, I would say it's more peaceful, uh, but yeah. Uh, it's it's really influenced uh, the I guess in in Southeast Asia religion is very important for uh, like among in the society maybe it's a bit different from uh, let's say in the Western countries so it's become part of their identity so yeah uh, uh, in Indonesia the the influence is there the trend in Western society is that there are more and more people that are less religious and. Um, I wonder why this is the case for Indonesia. Like, do you have an, a hypothesis of why this is the case of young generations clinging onto religious beliefs? Do you think there's any social, um, economical reasons behind this? Just draw from my own experience. I think young generation they like to be feel belong to a certain group, right? In, in like public, uh, yeah, in public school. Uh, there is a, a growing interest for, I would say, like a political organization that is religious based to to start uh, finding their, let's say, um, candidates or not candidates, but like followers early, like even since they are young. So when I was in high school, for example, like you can get scholarship if you are part of like religious activities and then this religious activity is being sponsored by like a like a political movement um, and they are really like, you know, targeting like uh, maybe someone who is not financially capable, but like having a really good um, uh, uh, grades in school. So um because in the end, like these people will then be part of the party, be part of like the political movement. Indonesia was a bit interesting. Like I said, it was majority Muslim population, but the government, uh, you know, it tries its best that it's not um, focusing in one religion uh, per se. Like, you know, like in the constitution, it's not talking about it's not it's not like a, we are not using a sharia law we are we are using the the constitution uh that that include like all of different religion uh but even since the beginning uh i, I think even before indonesia got its independent uh all this religious group wants to want to be part of the the um, a government right like they want to change the constitution they want to make it more sharia based so, so that's uh i think this is like a power struggle um since the very beginning um but when it comes to young generation right now i would say a lot of them come from social pressure from like social uh, environment as well indonesia also holds a very unique geographic position and with lots of islands at least from my perspective bali in indonesia i can see some similarities between bali and madeira in portugal and then prospera in honduras 
two, and then both of them are already on the front line of Bitcoin adoption. And given Indonesia's geographic and its reputation as a tourism destination for, and then for a lot of digital nomads as well, um, do you think Indonesia can potentially have a similar path um, as, as these these two places, or just even Bali as a small um, test ground to adopt Bitcoin and take it further? Fourteen until 2019, Indon like I would say Bali was the Bitcoin island. Uh, there are so many businesses that accepted Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of Bitcoin signed, Bitcoin accepted here, and that's also the reason why in 2016 I decided like yeah I'm uh, I'm gonna start accepting accepting payment in Bitcoin because everyone in Bali is doing it. You know, there is even a directory, a website called Bit Island where you can just. Uh, well, right now we have BTC map. Back in the day, we don't have BTC map. So you have this directory, a local directory that will show you what are the <clears throat> hotel that is at Bitcoin, restaurants, cafe, uh, even spa, uh, scooters lesson. <laughs> There's so many of them. Uh, but I would say at that time, um, we... Uh, Bali had tried to uh, accept Bitcoin quite early during when there's no lightning transaction. So it was everything is done by on chain. Um, it was fun when there is no, uh, I mean, if, if the network is not congested. But I remember in 2017, during the block size war and um, when the network is getting more and more expensive, people uh, suddenly stop using it because um, now it's become very expensive. Like you don't want to pay $5 fee for a $5 burger. <laughs> so uh, so that's when uh, the, uh, the decline happened. Uh, but I think the biggest challenge was uh, government regulation in 2019. Um, the government decided to ban uh, Bitcoin payment and all any kind of payment that accept that accept money outside of rupiah. So if you if you're a business and then if you are accepting dollar, then you will get fine. And then if you are accepting euro, you will get fine. If you accepting Bitcoin, you get fine. Uh, the 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 government tried to make it very clear. Uh, I guess it's also they they are trying to make sure that uh, there is a demand on, on, on rupiah because uh, like I mentioned, like rupiah is a, it's a one of the weakest currency uh, considered to be in, in the world. Um, so uh, if people are start using or demanding currency outside of rupiah, that will be very much weakened the, the, the rupiah position. So in that sense, I understand what, uh, why the government is doing that. Um, but it's also like, you know, like when you already start creating a policy, it's hard to, to take it back. It, it, it's hard to, to roll back than like, you know, adding more stuff. Right. So I think the current, the current challenge in Indonesia is that, that, um, uh, it, unless if we have it, in my personal opinion, 
if we have uh, applications such as like Strike or Pouch or um, this type of payment that can that just use Bitcoin as a way to transfer the value, and then in the end, at the end, uh, the merchant will accept it in uh, their own fiat currency. Maybe that's when um, Bitcoin can be more accepted in Indonesia. At the moment, even though it's, it's not accepted as payment, but Bitcoin is uh, accepted as a as an asset. So the government is actually uh, promoting that uh, in Bitcoin is considered one of a commodity and then being regulated under the the commodity um, uh, like the department. So so yeah, like uh, is it? I mean, I, I would say that at the moment, what Indonesia really needs is for sure to hedge against inflation. So um, making Bitcoin as a store of value uh, at first, it's actually a good step uh, to go. Um, hopefully, though, like, you know, this is also one of the reasons why we are doing the Indonesia Bitcoin conference. We are actually also inviting regulators to come to our conference so then they can understand, like, what exactly uh, the use case that is being uh, used in, you know, in in Philippines, in Vietnam, in Thailand, or neighboring countries as well. So it will hopefully, like, it will give a different view um, and also uh, opening up, like, you know, different type of opportunities. Um, because at the moment, most of what government knows, uh, and yeah, there are like cases, like corruption cases, where the the corrupter. Uh, launder the money in an exchange and then they save it in Bitcoin and you know now like Bitcoin become uh, uh, scrutinized as a way to do money laundering <laughs> oh so, yeah of course they do that <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is a lot of work to do in terms of changing the image if I want to send you VPN Bitcoin, it's still permittable. Like you know, I, I guess sending sending asset, it's it's not illegal in Indonesia. So it's now all about um, make the government understand what is what is it for, what is it used for, uh, what is the benefit actually if we are start accepting Bitcoin and what is the transition look like. And um, let's talk about um, the the Indonesia Bitcoin conference. This is uh, the third year. You're, you're doing this, and this is the first in-person physical uh, in-person conference, so congratulations. I'm sure it's it's a lot different than uh, have an online-only uh, conference to, to organize as an organizer. So what can we expect this year that's more than the previous year's conferences? Obviously, last year was online, and now it's in-person, so you get to meet the people finally in person. Um, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really excited for, for the conference itself. My goal is, uh, yeah, basically just to come and then hang out and then just, you know, get that real in-person connection because we've been We've been stuck in the Twitter worlds for so long. <laughs> become like an echo chamber. Uh, it's very nice if we can just like you know meet the people uh, directly and 
um, yeah, just to see the people how how they are learning uh, things that you never learned before. Um, that's basically uh, why, like, why I why I'm currently um, organizing this conference because I've been to several Bitcoin conference and I found it very fun to to be among people who thinks like you and then uh, understand like your point of your work point of view. Uh, so just ha- getting together and then like making friends. It's, it's a, it's a good way to go. Like in a conference is the, the way. And what are you going to expect at the conference? Um, since connection is my main primarily thing. So obviously we will have a lot of, um, uh, it's like a social hour or networking event after party just for you just to hang out you know like where's the best place to hang out like Bali with Bitcoin what <laughs> sunset so uh, yeah I mean I, um, the <clears throat> you will have a lot of like social hour uh, there will be of course like uh, panels and discussion. Um, we're also going to have workshops. Uh, there's a bunch of exhibition with several of our sponsors who's going to open their booths and do like some interactive games. Uh, one thing that is uh, quite unique in this conference, um, as you know, Bali is very popular with uh, their traditional arts. So we are actually working together with uh like a like an art group uh, uh, performers to create like a Bitcoin art shows uh, that actually combine the traditional art and also you know the philosophy of Bitcoin and then we are going to merge together and then showcase as a show as a as a as a art show. So this is something that uh, I'm quite. Uh, excited because I don't think we have this uh, in other conferences. So this is what makes it different. Uh, there's a lot of potential in Lightning Network, right? Um, and I also feel that in Indonesia, there are a lot of good developers out there who might be benefited if we create an app that can integrate, that uh, allow in Lightning Network integration. Uh, so we are currently um organizing a lightning hackathon um the, the hackathon will start in october 7 uh the, uh the purpose is that uh, everyone can join and then they can create the lightning network apps uh we got a very generous sponsor uh from human rights foundation and fulgur venture uh, they sponsor the total price is ten thousand dollars so anyone who wants to uh, build a bitcoin uh, apps uh, for Indonesia uh, and you know maybe relevant for Indonesian use user as well. Uh, we can join this lightning hackathon. Yeah. Wow, lots lots happening. And how is it different this year as an organizer to organize a, a physical Bitcoin conference? Like, what are some of the? <laughs> I'm sure it's been quite a journey for you <laughs> and change. And I think like the challenge when I run the online conference is that everything is rely on um, the online platform itself. If the, let's say, if the online platform lagging or there's problem uh, during the call and 
uh, I don't know, some some technical problem. And you're setting duck. <laughs> and then you're stuck, you know, like, and that happened, uh, I think, last conference. Like, we got to delay 30 minutes because there's some problems that we didn't see uh, beforehand, uh, that we didn't see when, when we were doing the testing. Uh, where... I assume, like when when during the conference, of course, I, I, there will be there will be many challenges, but you can imp- improve. Like, you can do like improvisation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. It's a single point of failure. It's uh, why we move away from centralization, right? Yes. You have you you basically looking forward to um, the conference. You have a lot of great speakers this year as well that are showing up in person. Yeah, uh, we got we got um, Jack Dorsey, we got Alex Gladstein, we got um, Obi Nwosu from Fedi, we got Samson Mao, um, also an ex-minister of Indonesia, Gita Wiriawan, who is very Bitcoin enthusiast. He's even he even had a podcast show and invited Safidin Amus to part to be part of his show. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like bit, local Bitcoiners and also Bitcoiners from Southeast Asia. Um, yeah, I'm just like I'm. I'm very uh, excited for sure. Uh, and I mean, there will be like many many topics that we are talk, going to talk about. We're going to talk about um, you know like the, the Lightning Network uh, and current uh, development in the Bitcoin space, like, you know, we, we probably heard about Noster uh, and then also through Fedi, like, you know, this Fedi Mint, like, what are what is it? And then, um, obviously, people always like to learn about what's going on in the world right now, the economy situation, um, and what is the current development uh, through the Bitcoin core. Uh, so there's like some of technical uh, session, a lot of uh, also like philosophical session, um, trying to make it like, you know, for everyone. But I guess uh, maybe also people are very interested to know about the current Bitcoin regulation update in Indonesia. If businesses wants to come and join uh, and learn, We are also going to, uh, yeah, like um, having session talk about uh, mining um, with the potential of Bitcoin mining in Indonesia. Uh, what are actually the the potential in there? So there are a lot of to be to be discussed during the conference. Um, the agenda will be coming up soon, but yeah, there's uh, many good topic and good speakers line up. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a huge success, um, such a destination, and it's great to combine the two together. And can you teach me on that note how to say "fix the money, fix the world" in your language? Perbaiki uang kita, perbaiki dunia. Perbaiki uang kita. 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 So this means fix our money. Yeah. Uh, perbaiki dunia. Perbaiki. And I'm sure a lot of great things will happen um, for this conference and kudos to you um, organizing this first ever physical uh, Indonesia Bitcoin conference. I'm sure you had a lot of great experience to draw from from the past couple of years and I'm, I understand it must have been a lot. Um, so really well done and I can't wait to see 
how the how the conference turned out. And Live with Bitcoin is also the official media partner of um, Indonesia Bitcoin Conference. Thanks for the opportunity. And if you use code Live with Bitcoin at checkout, you can actually get a ten percent discount on the conference ticket. Thanks, Dia, for for joining us today. How to stay close to your work? Yeah. So if you guys want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Dea Reskita. It's D E A R E Z K I T H A. But I'm also right now on Noster, so you can also find me at Dea Reskita at nosterplat.com. Um, if you want to uh, learn more about the conference, you can go to indonesiabitcoinconference.com and that's where you're going to buy the ticket and you can use the code that Vivian just shared <laughs> to get that discount. Yes. So I'm hoping this episode can give everyone a little bit more idea. I, I know I've certainly learned a lot and um, it's been great. Thanks for joining today. And if you like this content, please like this video and subscribe to this channel for more stories from Bitcoiners around the world. Uh, I'm your host, Vivian Shane, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs>